If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be easier than you thought, and here's why. In this episode, we find some answers to questions like, how much prep should you do? Should a new DM go pre-written or write their own fabulous adventures? And is there a formula to planning a good game? Welcome, Welcome. to the Hook and Chance podcast. <laughs> Don't step on my line. <laughs> You get the hell out of there. I'm Travis. I'm Jordan. So the problem is that there's so much new DM advice out there. I could fill a boat. <laughs> and a lot of it is really conflicting. There's, like, a, there's a lot of really good stuff. There's some great advice. There's a lot of really good advice. And a lot of it applies to two different camps of people or or many different camps of people. And it's not a... A one size fits all, but there's so many different points of view out there, and it's hard. It's really hard to sift through all of the advice and decide which one works best for you. It's that classic internet problem where there's a million opinions. Some of them are great. So, do you run a pre written campaign or do you build your own? How do you prep a ton? Do you not prep at all? What rules do you have? Like, do you know need to know all the rules? And we kind of touched on this in the last episode and said, no, you don't. But there's a lot of folks out there that will show these different rules that are essential to new DMs. And this is how you study them and uh, on and on. And <laughs> do, do I need a whole bunch of random generators? Do I need dozens of names at the ready? What should be on your DM screen? Which DM screen should you use? One-liners? Jokes? Should I write a list of... <laughs> I don't know. There's too much. <laughs> so, yeah, most of the Get Started DMing articles that we read in prep for this episode and just trying to find out what all was really out there, I would say the vast majority of them recommended running a pre-written campaign. Yeah. And there are some really good modules out there. Like, this starter kit has just a fantastic short little game. Yep. But... A lot of the advice out there just says like, yeah, pick up one of the campaign books and try running that. And that experience for me was a real tricky situation. <laughs> I started with the Horde of the Dragon Queen when I was a pretty new DM. And while it is an interesting story and there's a lot going on, that doesn't jive well with somebody trying to figure all of this out for the first time. Early on, there was a whole bunch of NPCs that I remember, horrifically remember, trying to figure out what details I needed to write down and have ready. And and there was this tall guy and there was this blue girl and like, is blue enough to run with? I'm blue. <laughs> what what <laughs> color should they be? There's, yeah, all of those questions get kind of jumbled. You have to start questioning, oh, am I sticking to the story? Am I not sticking to the story? Yeah, I didn't uh, know what made a story. I didn't know if I was a little creative when I went off the rails, then... Did I know how to get them back to the rails? Did I need to get them back to the rails? Yeah. All of this can end up distracting from 
I would say one of the core abilities and capabilities that a DM needs to start to build. And that is just that on the spot creativity and the confidence in your own direction. Yeah. So you as a DM, if you want to start working on your skills, try just making stuff up on the spot. Jordan, do it now. A secluded place to meet. A uh, box in an alleyway. <laughs> Why are they meeting in that box in an, in an alleyway? Why a box? There's rooftop guards and street side guards. There's guards everywhere. Okay. But boxes are dangerous. <laughs> dangerous places because typically inside a box is a diseased rat. Wow. <laughs> you okay. don't want to just go lifting boxes. And who are you meeting with? I'm meeting with the mayor of... The village that I originally came from. And what's that mayor wearing? Uh, very revealing shorts. Oh. <laughs> All right, you passed. You passed the, the creativity test with revealing shorts. Thank you. Upsetting. Did it. Uh, <laughs> and, I mean, Jordan and I have both had this experience. Even as a relatively experienced DM, I tried running... Just the, it's a really fantastic story again, but I tried running Storm King's Thunder and there are so many different layers of intrigue and things that are happening in that story that I honestly ended up using about 20% of it. I had to throw out most because this is a role-playing game and it's really hard, even in that kind of sandboxy style of adventure that Storm King's Thunder is, it's really hard to use the majority of it. So why bother? We're going to get into more of this later. But first, we're going to jump into Morden's Forge where we're going to talk about something that we just wanted to try to create. We wanted to try to create a simpler system for doing this. And it was going to be a system that addressed the building of creativity, the simplicity of boiling it all down to the raw essentials, and the structure of a half-decent story for somebody that was brand new to DMing to just lay out and let it go however it goes and work on those skills of creativity and others. Perfect. This is Moradin's Forge, where raw materials are reshaped, honed into tools and weapons for the most incredible quests. All right, so let's talk about game prep. How much is really needed? Yeah, there are over-preppers, and there are world-builders, and there are folks that love to get crazy with their prep. And I know a lot of DMs will spend like eight hours. I would say that's the going rate for DM prep in the world is just like, oh, yeah, you spend a whole nother, whatever your session length is, you spend one in addition to that just prepping for D&D. Two times as long. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot. And it's super fun, but not all of us can afford that much time out of every week to get ready. Yeah. There's this weird expectation that like you have to suffer for your craft <laughs> and you must go into a cave and emerge 15 days later with a beard and a... <laughs> it's just wow. like, yeah, it's, well... You don't come out until your game is ready. Yeah. That's not sustainable. I've got shit to do. <laughs> but most of it does revolve around D&D. &D. It really does. 
So yeah, just remember that at the core, you need that story for your characters and everything else is fun, but it is frosting. You've got building maps and you've got building handouts and yeah, cool little notes and you know, when a DM like will do the wax seal on a cool note that yeah. the players get to, like that's neat, but it is like you said, frosting on top of what is at the core of playing the game. Then there's the question of like, should you do maps or theater of the mind? Like once you get into maps, that's a whole nother thing. <laughs> like that's another <laughs> level of prep. Yeah, that's why we had. If you can't find exactly what you want on Google. <laughs> Good luck. There goes your friggin' afternoon. <laughs> As I've seen you spend many of yours doing. Well, and then you can go to, you can start using those like vinyl maps. Those are pretty awesome for being able to just like draw out the shape of a cave. Then I would inevitably try to go a little overboard yeah. on the drawing. And you wouldn't finish in that area. And those vinyl maps you have to erase, otherwise, it stains the map. So then you erase the whole thing and you come back to it next week or it's there forevermore. That's the only <laughs> location you ever get to play in again. Yeah. And oh my gosh, I know all kinds of maps run into this problem, but I always remember just throwing it across the room in frustration as I realized that the players are not going to that location. Oh. <laughs> Spend like two hours drawing a really cool map. There's nothing more infuriating <laughs> when you have the map just like, rolled in the corner yeah waiting for you to pull it out and you cannot wait for the players to get there and they're like actually we're gonna go over here cool 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 <laughs> yeah i'm trying not to show my hand here and how goddamn furious i am so let's get back to that uh pre-written versus making your own yeah there are some really cool elements to pre-written games that i think take a lot of the stress off of a new dm yeah i've had a lot of fun playing them and there's some amazing writers out there. I mean, there's a whole world of custom content writers that are out there writing some stellar adventures, some really, really excellent stories yeah. that are going unplayed on the DMs Guild on other platforms where you can buy some of that pre-written content. But as a new DM, what are the kind of pros and cons of going with pre-written versus not? Well, you get... All of the details that come with a whole bunch of professionals working on a product Ooh. to make it as good as it can be. Drawings, uh, maps, all of that stuff. Custom monsters. Uh, you get all kinds of fun, fun stuff. Yeah. The flip side to that is that it can be sometimes hard to uptake all of that information. Yeah. Obviously, like it's hard to keep all of these different NPCs in your head. and with a lot of pre-written adventures that come in book form, what I found when I ran Storm King's Thunder is you're flipping all the way to the back and then all the way <laughs> forward again and then all the way to the back. And in the year that it's going to take you to run that campaign, that book is going to be dead. Yeah. Might as well just rip out the pages and staple oh. them to the wall. <laughs> yeah, just glue them to the wall. Wallpaper your D&D &D room with the pages <laughs> just so you can reference them. But again, those beginner-focused adventures, they do have a pretty good flow that can kind of introduce you to the different parts of the game as it goes. So that's nice. Mm -hmm. Some of them are expertly written for considerations of new DMs, but I would say that that's like 10% 
or it, less. It's hard to do that. It Co- is really hard. Yeah. No shade towards the creators out there that make pre-written DM adventures for new DMs, but it's hard to take all of that into consideration when you're writing these. There's Everyone has different styles, and to try and cater to specifically the new DM uh, is a challenge in and of itself. Some other difficult things about working with that pre-written stuff is that it is someone else's creative vision, and mm-hmm. so you're trying to wrap your head around that. And if you create a wildly different version of something that doesn't really mesh with that established world, then all of a sudden you're you're trying to work it in. You're trying to make it fit every step of the way. Like if you've got a really different vision for dwarves, but now dwarves are in this campaign and it just it d- doesn't mesh. Yeah, and I honestly found that I spent twice the amount of time reading campaign books as I did playing them like easily you have to read those books twice three times over before it really sinks in unless they're expertly written and expertly broken down into really really coherent story structures but then even when that has been achieved then you've got a really rigid story structure that it feels scary to deviate from so this is why I think you and I are both unanimous in the advice that writing your own is the best approach for a brand new DM. Agreed. <laughs> Agree with me, damn it. <laughs> Absolutely. It's getting a little Sorry. squirrely on me. <laughs> All right. So now the formula to a good game. Can a formula be achieved? Yes. <laughs> That's a very, very solid yes. Done. <laughs> it's as easy as that. Just say yes. Now, <laughs> now go do it. So there is, I think that once you become a great DM, sure, you can summon your award-winning Citizen Kane of a D&D session that breaks boundaries and is a true masterpiece, but perhaps runs the risk of being too high concept for most to really enjoy. Hmm. So much easier than that is planning a game that perhaps repeats the same formula, but is reliable, enjoyable, fun, and gives most people a great time. The Brooklyn Nine-Nine or the Buffy the Vampire Slayer of the D&D world, it's hard to get tired of a reliably great time. Yeah, and I think that those are much easier to run when you're still figuring out the rest of the things that come with being a dungeon master. So there's nothing wrong with going with a formula because you can swap around the elements of that formula. You get something kind of original, but there's a reason that those shows are so long running because they have their characters and they have their their arcs and they, they all just fit just so. And if you want to do a episodic kind of monster of the week, you can follow a formula. Yeah. Which is its own very successful game. Might I add <laughs> monster of the week? Monster of the week. Yeah, <laughs> that's a tremendous one. So you can jot this system down that we built. We went out, we built a system. It took a while uh, to consider all of the ins and outs of doing <laughs> this. But... You can jot them down or you can download our PDF and you can find it on Reddit or it's free on Patreon and there's no need for battle maps. This is just meant to be 
kind of on its own. Add what you want, but you don't have to add anything. Yeah. So the way this system is structured is really simple. You've got a problem. Why are the heroes there? What are they there to accomplish? You need something to accomplish. And then you've got a really simple beginning, middle, and end. Somebody stole my kids. <laughs> so, yeah, sure, let's go with that. Somebody stole some children. Horrible. We need heroes. Hopefully a, a quirky <laughs> band of misfits. <laughs> no more than five of them, but no less than one. <laughs> no less than one hero. That's no less than one hero. That's the band. one. Okay. <laughs> Technically, you can play D&D with one person. Yes. But not with less than one. <laughs> I do that a lot. It's not a perfect example. <laughs> so you have the beginning of the adventure. Yes. The beginning of the adventure basically just requires a starting location. And what I really like about this is that it's super simple. You just wherever the hell you want to start. I think there's a good reason why most adventures start in a tavern. True. Simple. It's... It can have some characters. Yeah, it can have some some colorful characters. There's a million different ways that your adventure can go if it starts in a tavern. Further to that, though, is that when you're depicting a starting location, having something really simple will allow the adventure to grow into something bigger near the end. So the simpler the starting location, your bedroom, <laughs> a basement, a tavern, a farm, Still going to have a little bit of quirk to it. Sure. A little bit of detail. That's where your creativity comes in. But the simpler you start, the bigger and grander your adventure can feel with pretty minor jumps Yeah, down the road. So we're talking about a tavern. So in that tavern... It's a halfling tavern. <laughs> All right. That's it's my, a halfling tavern. That's my quirk. <laughs> that's super quirk. short. <laughs> Everything is small. Yeah. You got tiny stools. <laughs> so... First, you need a couple NPCs, three to be specific, and each of those NPCs have something to contribute to the story. Uh, we have in our little system here a couple of different versions of those NPCs, but in, in essence, you've got three, and they all have different moods and characteristics. They can be in the town or just in the tavern, and so you've got one that's super helpful and always ready to go and leading you on your merry way. Farmer Brown from gives... the Butterfields. <laughs> Farmer Brown from the Butterfields is going to help you with things like exposition and explaining what's happening in the town because they're super friendly. That's just a part of their character. Oh, welcome, strangers. Then you've got another NPC who might be a little bit more prickly. The head of the guard that doesn't trust a soul. Uh, yeah. <laughs> So the head of the guard wants good things to happen, but can maybe offer even more help than the super friendly person. But it's going to be a little bit harder to win their favor. I got my shields up. <laughs> you ain't getting through my defenses. I've been tricked one or two times too many. And then you have the third NPC, which I really like this one because this can either be a repeat of the last two or... This can be a third type, which is 
any kind of combination of any of those characteristics, but the most important characteristic is that they may or they may not be working against the party. This is that like Scooby-Doo ending where it's like, oh man, it was the guy that owned the haunted amusement park the whole time. But that gives, at the end of the story, some fun. It's like, it's a little bit of a twist. It's a surprise. Yeah. And again, it's a formula, but that didn't stop Scooby-Doo from running for like a million seasons. So that's just the beginning. That's the setup. You've got a problem, you've got a starting location, a couple of NPCs, and each one of those NPCs has a piece of the puzzle for the heroes to put together. Did you say that they run the haunted amusement park outside of town? Yeah. <laughs> so they're actively running it, but it is still haunted? <laughs> <laughs> it never made a ton of sense. Go on, I'm sorry. Ah, <laughs> oh, poking holes in my story, dick. Okay. No, that's canon. <laughs> so each one of those npcs has a piece of this the puzzle um the players have to talk to them they if they don't talk to them if they just kind of pass by that clear npc who's who you have described and they say nah i don't really care about talking to them then they're missing a part of that puzzle and this will start to feel a little bit more formulaic for them the more games like this that you kind of play and the more you structure like this, that they'll start to understand that each one of these NPCs has a role to play. But each time you run this, you can get more creative with it and change it up more. This is just a starting Yeah, block. exactly. So the second part, the middle. Here is basically the adventure proper. This is that, uh, I don't know, the, the cool montage. This is the whole bit from starting in the very, very simple Shire between Shire and Morador is a wow. whole bunch of adventure <laughs> that happens. And, I mean, you could make the argument that this is where the montage happens. Hmm. There's like little quick hits of the adventures and the trials and the tribulations that the adventurers had to go through. And this can happen on a grand scale or it can happen on a really, really small scale. Yeah. Just so going back to your tavern example. Uh, so the kids are kidnapped. Yeah. And nobody knows exactly what kidnapped, but Farmer Brown knows that there's little green creatures that have been stealing cows before that. Uh. So probably them. Yeah. Follow some tracks and your adventure location is now the forest. Okay. So now you're in the forest and now you need three blockers that challenge the party in their struggle to find these missing kids so blocker number one is an obstacle this is really kind of meant to be just something passive if they're traveling by cart through this forest it might be just a tree downed over the road and either they have to cleverly or find a way to move that tree out of the way or they have to abandon their cart and now their journey became harder i will never abandon my cart it's a lot of attachment that you have to a cart. All right. We've left part of the party behind. It carries my secrets. <laughs> so blocker number two is a trap. Oh, so shucks. In some way, shape, or form, this needs to be something that the party is hinted at. Something isn't quite right. So in this case, if they're traveling through the forest and they're going out for something like goblins, they're getting closer to the goblin lair. Goblins may have placed some 
traps in the forest, a little snare trap perchance. There you go. So there needs to be that hint, that element of danger that the players know that they're walking through kind of a trapped area. They're not sure quite where it is. Maybe there's other animals that have clearly been trapped and then most of it taken, but there's evidence that that happened. They found a, a deer foot still hanging in the yeah. in a snare trap or something like then that. Then you've foreshadowed that that could happen to them. If they're not careful, then at least they could have seen it coming. And it's not just the DM taking hit points away. Yeah. Because that's never satisfying. No, no, not at all. And then finally, you have some kind of creature. So I really like the creature as a trap. It's really kind of meant to be that like wandering monster. And it's meant to make the adventure feel like it's living and that there's this element of chaos. Like you don't know where the creature is. There might be signs of it. Maybe they have the goblins have a trained warg or something like that, just roaming around the woods outside their lair. Yeah. So this is meant not to be a fight, but to be more of a creative problem-solving solution. They could lure it away. They could do A, B, or C to it. But ultimately... They have to remove that to get to the goblins. With all three of these, be open to creative problem solving. Don't make them just roll that one skill check to beat it. If they come up with something, let them win and let them move on because then they feel like the adventure is theirs and that they have an actual impact in what's happening. And And there's a lot of other details that we've kind of added to this, this simple system. But in essence, that's kind of the middle adventure. So... Now that all of those are removed, now you get to the end. This is the showdown. This is the the final space. And here, we're going to encounter the antagonist, the person that's behind all of these shenanigans. Why are they stealing children? How horrible. Oh, why did the haunted amusement park owner steal these children? (laughs) We are really mixing up all of these storylines into one. That's fine. It still works. (laughs) Okay. So... Here, we again have a location, and this can be that more grand location. This is where it's supposed to feel dramatic. Yeah. So now we've got a goblin lair that's dripping. It's hard to navigate. So the only reason we're really listing any of these locations is that we can give that upfront description to get all of the gritty details said for the players to draw them in to this narrative and this location and make them really feel it. That finale location should have some interesting details that the characters can play off of or work with. Things that make it grand and interesting. Things that the goblins might be using. I don't know, like ropes from the ceiling that the goblins, maybe in their downtime, they just play a sport where they smash into each other on ropes, (laughs) but it also works as a great defense slash weird. Totally. Well, and we're going to get to that here, but before we do, one thing I will point out is that you don't necessarily want the showdown location to always be the most bombastic location. The danger here is that if you do have just this crazy location, you're fighting on the moon, (laughs) you're never going to top that. It's going to be so hard to top it the next time. So make it interesting, but not like world shattering. Exactly. Unless that's what you're going for. But, I mean, it's it's so hard to top the shenanigans that you got up to last time <laughs> with the next game. So 
Just pace yourself when you are doing this for the first time. The next step is really planning out a peaceful and a violent solution to how this all kind of plays out. With that peaceful solution, you want to know why. Why did the the antagonist do this in the first place? So the amusement park owner was kidnapping kids so that they could turn them into employees <laughs> that wouldn't ask any questions. And the kids would go along with it because they get to go work at an amusement park. <laughs> they get all the candy they want. <laughs> uh, so then you have to know what the antagonist really wants. In the end, they just want a workforce. Yeah. Sounds like. Okay. Then you have to figure out what that kind of challenge DC would be to actually try to convince the antagonist to drop their plans and go with whatever the party is going to suggest. Because the party, if they take that peaceful resolution approach, they're going to suggest something. Maybe we should just civilize your goblins a little bit. Hmm. There's a creative (laughs) solution. Yeah. You, we just have to teach them to not eat the the amusement park goers, which is why the children were necessary because goblins just keep trying to eat people. Yeah. Then you have to have this change. Like what happens if they're successful in their peaceful approach? But usually, sometimes, often, always, the party will find a way to resort to violence. So this is why you have a violent option. And with that violent resolution, typically what you want to do is you want to figure out two tactics, their first tactic and their backup. So the first tactic is basically what they're best at in their monster stat block, whatever that is. So the amusement park owner sends forth the goblin squad to attack with melee, and they're sitting up uh, on a higher shelf of the cave shooting down with arrows. Or maybe they use those ropes, those aforementioned ropes, because yeah. goblins aren't great in a in a one-to-one melee fight, but they are pretty dexterous little bastards, and they can swim swing from those ropes. Then you have the backup tactic, which is maybe they have some explosives nearby, or they have some magics that they're pretty good with, but not great with. They'd rather use their expendable uh, goblin force first. Yeah. Then you need an environment change. So how does that fight change? And then finally, that retreat. Well, what's the environment change here? Maybe a goblin releases the water from the water chamber and it all spills out. Maybe the goblins swinging on the ropes pull part of the cave down. Oh. And changes the the cave dynamic. Or maybe there's too many goblins on the ropes because of the fight and they're all supported by some kind of a wooden structure at the top and so that wood starts to crumble and fall there you go and now your fight feels pretty dynamic and then finally you need some kind of retreat condition so at what point does the antagonist go nope screw it i'm out because most creatures will not fight to the death yeah they will always have a condition where they're like eh, this isn't worth it i'm gonna peace now when your party is able to actually incapacitate the big bad antagonist now there's this point where they're always standing over them with a sword or a mace or something like that saying recant your evil deeds tell us why you did it and now you can switch back because if they took the violent approach off the get-go now you have a backup peaceful approach 
Now you can lean on all of those questions as to why they did it. So these two stages, the violent or the peaceful, are totally interchangeable. Whichever comes first, you've got what comes next as a backup. Yeah. And you can versa. switch between. And then to wrap all of this up, then you've got your loot. Now that you have a nice resolution, your party is going to fan out and they're going to inevitably start looking for all the loot and the treasure and the goodies, right? Yeah. So first, you would want to prep one piece of loot that is like a sword or some usable piece of armor or a weapon or something that someone in the party would most likely want to use. If you have a really nice balanced party, this usually isn't too hard. You can either come up with a staff or a sword or a piece of armor. The hammer from the amusement park that you use to hit the (laughs) strongman thing. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that could work perfectly. So now you have this magical hammer and somebody in the party is going to want that. Worst case scenario, they sell it. And they buy something they like. And now you've allocated this really cool weapon to one of the party members. The next time you do this adventure, pick a different kind of weapon or armor that somebody else in the party might enjoy. Yeah. And now you get to dole out loot in a really balanced way. The second piece of loot is always something that doesn't have an inherent value, but is just kind of neat. So maybe it's a ultra ultra fast cartwheels for the cart that you left in the woods. Oh, rad. Or didn't leave because you still have one party member who's <laughs> sitting on that cart back in the forest because they wouldn't leave it. I'm a lone wolf. Who invited that person? <laughs> I play by my own rules. Uh. And then finally, you just have that sweet, sweet cash so that the players can keep building up their cash stores and buy cool shit that they really enjoy. Yeah. Like more ropes and daggers and... And to wrap it all up... Ball bearings. Then you have... (laughs) Ball bearings. You need a ton of ball bearings. (laughs) You need at least three pouches of ball bearings at all times. Yeah. And then, yeah, you've got the resolution. So the resolution is really what happens once all of this... What is set right now by the players? Sure, they return the town, but now the townspeople are happy and they reward them with an honorary membership to the town. Oh, you'll always be welcome here. Okay, cool. Now I feel accomplished. Yeah. Here's a little shack that you can relax in and decorate to your heart's content whenever you pass through this way. Very cool. Here's a title for you. Maybe you're the, you know. Titles are great. (laughs) Titles are neat. (laughs) The Goblin Smacker. (laughs) Kind-hearted Goblin Smackers. (laughs) All right, that's in essence it. That's all you need. We have this really cool form that you can kind of fill out. It has prompts. It has more explanation than we've really been able to go into today. But makes sense when you see it visually. And one of the other bits of feedback that we got on the system was, uh uh-oh, but what if my players go off the rails on this particular sheet that I've completed and I've said you know what I've got my whole story kind of laid out what's really neat about this sheet is that you can really swap them around say the players decide after talking to the first NPC that they're going straight on to the adventure but maybe they fail there so they have to go back to town and they have to talk to the second NPC and they tell them about the route around and the back entrance to the cave So every single NPC has different pieces. You can switch and swap a lot of these different pieces around depending on where 
the party goes. Yeah, it's not a super linear. Yeah, it doesn't have to be just this straight line. But in the crazy event that your players are not so crazy because it happens all <laughs> the freaking time, but in the not so crazy condition that your players decide, eh, we're not interested in this. Every time they do this, if you have a backup sheet, then they go, oh, we don't want to go to this haunted amusement park. Actually, we're going to go to the next town. We're going to go to the Dwarven Mines. Or we heard about, yeah, the hermit that lives out in the woods. Let's go talk to them. Okay, so now you just have another sheet that you can fill out that explains the hermit's problem. Having a backup of this is always going to serve you because the next adventure is going to follow a very similar path. And you're always prepped. You're always ready to run a different game, a different adventure with really, really simple basics. So I would say that most of the time, this is going to be a one to two session adventure. But I mean, you can stretch any of these out to more. Like you could actually use the same structure to build something that's a little bit even grander. Yeah. Let's say. And I think with each of the spaces that we have available to fill out in our form there's almost a generator for each one from npc to the details of an npc to the monsters you can google pretty much anything and find a generator that gives you something random to put in there you found a really neat one that was kind of like an establishment generator it almost led you on a full adventure in and of itself yeah it was really neat and because you started with a town name and you clicked your way through to whatever establishment that the players might want to go into. And then that establishment had a pre-generated NPC that was made on the fly. And it was a really neat tool that I recently discovered. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. It's called Eigengrau's Generator, but uh, that's kind of tricky to spell. So check that out. <laughs> check out the show notes. <laughs> and keep in mind that uh, this system is probably not going to be right off the bat perfect for you. Change it up as you see fit. Evolve it as you become a better DM. I tried. I tried to make it perfect. <laughs> impossible. Yeah, you're totally right. It is It is impossible. But one of the things that I would caution any brand new DM is that there are so many blog articles. And this is my opinion, not the opinion of the Hook and Chance podcast. <laughs> but that stuff is horse shit. It's so frustrating when you read a blog that's like, hey, 20 tips for new DMs. And it's like, great, but how do I actually be a great DM? And there's so much stuff out there. Ultimately, you just got to try it. And that's the whole point to this is that it should give you enough structure to really just try it, get your feet wet and feel a little bit more confident that you have stuff kind of figured out. And then you can start adding on all of those extras and techniques and tools and things like that every time you play you'll add a new skill to your repertoire you'll discover what your players like and don't like and you'll just keep having fun yeah iterating iterate till you're blue in the face well that uh that about wraps it up for that but you have a little continuation of our contest yes we've decided to give away a copy of keith Amon's book the monsters know what they're doing that's doing super well we got our copy recently. It's such a great resource for DMs to give you uh, monster tactics Ooh. to use in your games. You have never played a more monster terrifying 
as some of the monsters that Keith Amon has gone through and thought out very, very logically and strategically. So to win this book, you need to leave a review on iTunes for this podcast and guess the monster that we describe at the end of each episode through any of our social media platforms. So each episode, we give another detail of this monster. It's the same monster you're trying to guess with all of these details. The first correct guess gets this book, and you get one guess per week. Make sense? Makes sense. Got it. (laughs) Giver. Oh, and if you don't have an iTunes, it's actually really easy to create. But for some reason, this crazy system called iTunes owns <laughs> podcast rankings so I that's know, why kind of forced our hand but you can make a free account and just you know review to your heart's content because reviewing makes podcasters happy <laughs> so here comes the description give me a hint a clawed hand enters the light beginning to sway back and forth as the creature emits a chilling high-pitched cackle <laughs> Scary. Give what your guess. It? What is it? Give your guess. <laughs> Thanks to Tabletop Audio for the sound effects that you heard in this episode. Follow us at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Discord, and Reddit. And thanks for listening. And, and play the great amusement park games. all along. <laughs> I done did it. The one for you, Madeline.